Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Hello there, and welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. My name is Joy Rios, and I am the host of today's show. We are a podcast that amplifies and celebrates the women and their contributions in the healthcare and health IT space. I like to talk about the 30,000 piece puzzle that is the US and global healthcare system. And each one of our guests brings their expertise and shares a piece of the healthcare puzzle. So today we have two guests, it was lovely. And if you wouldn't mind both of you taking a moment to introduce yourselves. And Margaret, I'm gonna start with you. Hello, Joy, thank you. Thanks for inviting me here. My name is Margaret Martinez. I'm now a product owner for Viewpoint. It's an ultrasound reporting system in GE Healthcare. Hi, my name is Garima Mathur. Thank you for having me here. I work as director of product management under the Edison Digital Health Platform. Okay, what is included in that platform? Yes, everything. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, well, we're looking to solve for a lot of challenges that the customers face, and we're trying to bring a lot of digital capabilities to our customers that can help solve very critical challenges, right? Efficiencies, getting the right information at the right time for better decision making, and we're trying to do this in a very cost-efficient manner, right? So it is easier to absorb a platform and it doesn't look like a humongous change. We're trying to make it very transparent in terms of what technologies are being used, what information is being uh, transmitted, and it's very interoperable. All right, thank you for that. Margaret, you are, you spend your time in Germany, so, right? <laughs> yeah. And you live there. <laughs> I live there now. I'm from Austria, okay. but I live in Germany. In Germany, I joined GE Healthcare Viewpoint three and a half years ago. And before, I was in actually other uh, health IT areas. Would you mind sharing a little bit more about your journey and yeah, how sure. you got to where you are? Actually, the choice that I want to be in health IT was quite early, already after school. I thought, oh, I don't want to be a doctor, but I really like the idea of helping others help people. So uh, I signed up for university for IT and electrical engineering. And then at first I thought I can be a professor. So I did the, the journey in academia and during my PhD I found out now that's not for me. <laughs> so I switched to industry and uh, then uh, right away was in a startup for radiotherapy. 
So yeah, this was radiotherapy. And then from there, I went into a spin-off for a follow-up care in oncology. After that, I did the typical baby pause, which you do in Germany. And I came back here to be now in ultrasound. Okay. that's So how much work do you do globally? Is it, I mean, babies are born all over the world. That's so, correct. Yeah. That's a very nice. What I really like about my job is that it has a very big impact all over the world. So Viewpoint, this reporting system, we're really globally. So at the beginning, it was focused on Germany and got spread in, in Europe mostly, but now we're a big player in the US, we are in China, we're in India, so everywhere. And the other thing with ultrasound, it's although our product first came from obstetrics, it's now used in many, many different departments. So cardiovascular disease, we heard of point of care, for example. So there are many, many new ideas, many, many influences. Karima, I'd like to transition to you. Can you share with me a little bit about your journey and how you got to where you are? Yes. So I grew up in India. I came to U.S. like almost 20 years back. Growing up, I think it is was very typical growing up in a developing country. The only thing I feel was very special about my upbringing was that my parents were very committed to the education of me and my sister. So we're two sisters and I was influenced by my parents, how much they were committed. Because when you're young, you don't know what it what success means to you. You look at your parents and you believe like, oh, wow, they actually want me to do this, right? For whatever reason. And you just do it for that reason. I think very early on, I was almost like 12 years old when I got my first MR, uh, MRI scan. And I think I believe truly at this point that my career really started there. Because I got very influenced by this really big system, which I didn't know what it meant, right? But my parents were very curious to know what was the result of the scan. They were very worried for like three weeks of time. They were staying strong, whatever it was, right? And then I go very happily, get my scan done, and I was intrigued by how, uh, what it was. So I think I kept talking a lot about the scan, right? I was like some in some ways proud of getting like an MRI scan, right, at the moment. And I think when I grew up, I had the opportunity to select my field of study. And it kept guiding me or driving me to technology because I wanted to do something in technology. And my parents always supported it. So I grew up, I did my undergrad, I had an opportunity to apply to the U.S. for master's, so I did that. And I came to the U.S., I literally was so naive at that time that I had to find out what are you going to do if you wanted to work on a system like this, right? So there were a few options, right, to go for a PhD in medical imaging or do a biomedical engineering. So I went for a biomedical engineering degree, and um, and I uh, so I think that's what my you know initial journey was, and then I think it, it was about that very first opportunity right that came along that opened a lot of doors for me, and then I worked for Philips for like ten years, and then I moved to GD seven years back, and I've done a lot of very you can say different challenging roles, but I think a key thing that has remained the same is just the feeling of how the technology really helps the lives of people, right? And how close it is, right, to everybody has been driving me to my different positions. Well, it sounds like it was a very personal experience that helped motivate you to get into the field. I mean, from where you started when you were 12 years old getting an MRI to where you are now, 
How do you think that, how has your experience or understanding of the technology changed specifically to, you know, the area that you work in? This is what I personally feel, right? A lot of work that we now as women do, need to do in terms of awareness. Because I don't think when we are very young, at least in developing countries, right, we don't understand what it means to be in technology, right? Because you only talk about a lot of software engineering or developing engineering, and sometimes it's also deemed as like very boring, right? Like there are a lot of names, right, for people who want to go in engineering. <laughs> I don't think we really understand the elements, true elements of it, right, until we grow up, right? So. So I think there's there's a lot of awareness. There is a lot of excitement that needs to be built, right? Like why you want to pursue this field. And I think like when as I grew up now, when I see, when I look back, I don't think if there were like these influencers, like my parents, right? Like the person who I spoke with for my application, right? How I actually got my very first job in Philips. I did a demo and somebody got interested in my research that I was doing at Masters. So all those little connections, all those people who actually trusted in me to give me a chance, helped me to be where I am. I'm, I have an interesting question that I haven't prepped either of you for, but you both are coming from inter, international countries, and I, I'd like to know what you wish we, like people from the U.S., should know about your country. What do you wish that we knew, and what, <laughs> like, what would be helpful for you perspective-wise? Because I'm sure that it's often either overlooked or misunderstood, or just like not everybody has an opportunity to visit the places that you were born. So I think the healthcare system, so talking about health ID, right? It's yeah. really, really different in each country, especially. So I was just shocked right now when I heard an ambulance car here, there is no doctor. You know, in, in Germany, of course, the, the ambulance staff is highly educated people. So the, the entire system is different. The uh, entire workflows are different and also the reimbursing systems. Time out. Did you say there's a doctor in every ambulance in Germany? or At least a very well-trained yeah. personnel, yeah. Okay. Most of them doctors, yeah. And I'm sure that's very different from India. Yes, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> we're, talk we're probably talking to extremes here. Yeah. <laughs> no, I believe what I would have loved, actually, that I keep talking about a lot, for people to know that the quality of healthcare, like, so you can... There are a lot of healthcare professionals in the in India, right? And a lot of healthcare facilities, so to speak. But the quality of healthcare is not same. So the people that you come across, right? You don't have the same accountability. You don't have same facilities. You don't have uh, same type of, you can say, appointment schedules, right? It's very, very different, very massively different. So I think when we build our products, right, we are, and rightfully so, right, we are building for major markets because the consumption is so high. But if you flip the coin, right, the consumption is high for a small number of people because we want to maintain the quality. But the population outside the U.S., huge in China and India, right, where the access of patient care is extremely low and the quality is low as well. So we need to somehow make, take this consideration when we're building our products. Well, when you consider what technology is being introduced, and I'm sure the answer is different from both of you based on your countries, would be the most impactful. Well, for me, clearly, it's now ultrasound because this is the space I know. And what you just said before, you know, you, we have all these different 
type of ultrasound devices now. So we have these really expert ones, which you find in the best paid hospitals, up to really mobile ones, which you can go out to remote areas or to nursing homes and get a very fast scan at their place. That's just, just huge. And this technology is developing so fast. The resolution is getting better. We're getting better measurements. We are getting predictions. It's really, really interesting. It's exciting. So I think, so I'm biased, but I believe that, <laughs> I believe that, you know, when we talk about technologies, of course, right, you have to have medical imaging technology, right, ultrasound, which can be made available at a mass level, right, a lower cost mass level where it can be consumed easily, smaller footprint into like major hospitals of like developing countries, right. But on the flip side, right, there has to be, there have to be enough education for people to read the images, right. So that's where AI plays a role, right what we try to do. So if we can bring seamless solutions, right, that actually can help where there, there is no radiologist, there is no, uh, you can say, specialist available to read these images at the time when there is a need, will be instrumental, right? Because we can at least provide some information to the person who's making the decision based on some very quality product. Now, the two of you have a working relationship. Can you speak about how you, you or do you? <laughs> no, actually, <laughs> we met yesterday for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so do your teams overlap or are there any collaborations? Well, we're all one GE, but yes. we do like, you know, so I guess what I work with Edison Platform that works across the modalities, right? So we try to build applications and build uh, features and products that can help any device to be successful work on AI. So ultrasound is definitely leading in one of the, a lot of different innovations. So we obviously like kind of work together somewhat on AI, but maybe not she and her, <laughs> me. That's right. And we are interested in all the platform topics. For example, authentication, it's a constant topic. If you have like the ultrasound platform, what we have for reporting, Constantly, you have the problem of authentication, for example, and that's what the platform team is solving for. So we can just use this technology, yeah. For anybody, I love, I love the advice question, and you guys both have different perspectives. So what advice would you give to anybody who is entering the healthcare or health IT space, given what you know? If you're entering, like if you're entering as a student or you're even entering as a professional, right? I believe the satisfaction that you get, right, for, for being in tech and making an impact on a real problem, right? Because what I believe is all about your purpose and why, right? Why you're trying to do something. And as women, we're very, it's just inherent to us to try to connect with purpose in everything we do. So as you're trying to enter to a space, right, which has so much to offer, there is literally like, I don't, there is, and I think Vishali was pointing this out, right? That there is just so much to offer. You can be doing project management, you can be doing engineering, or you're doing software development, you can be in medical field. There is just, there is no bar, right? You can always grow and do better. And it, it is very satisfying because it is not easy. So a product, right? All the, you can say research that we do, I would say if there is a research on 98% of things and we have solved the products related to that research is probably like only 30% available because taking a research, converting it into a real product and getting it out to the market where it can be consumed by a customer, by a patient and it can impact on life is a very challenging task to do. So you are 
always challenged, but you're very rewarded when something truly works out. I would just top on that. Find the place where, where you care about. Find your passion. May it be engineering, may it be product development. Because when you burn for something, when you have this passion, I think you can achieve nearly everything and you will be happy to go to work. So test around, find your space. And don't worry to ask questions. If you are the one person in the room who has this question, very probably there are more. I like the idea that thinking of challenges, like are entering areas that are challenging and are wrought with problems, that actually gives you a lot to do. That's going to keep you busy and keep oh, yeah. you uh, focused on addressing those over a lifetime. Can you speak about, you mentioned earlier about there are many challenges. Can you speak to some of the challenges that you have already faced and how you've overcome them within the areas of work that you're doing? And I'll start with you, Karima. Sure. There are challenges at personal level and professional level, right? It depends. So where you are looking to solve for, right? So I would say, and I will give a little spin of coming from outside the US, right? So when I entered in the US, obviously I grew up in a small city in India. So I had a weird, funny accent to me. And honest, I was, my first job was customer training. So every single time I was training, I was challenged that, oh my gosh, am I talking? Are people understanding me? Are they focusing on the content? Are they getting distracted by my accent? So after every class, I will talk with the customers, right? Like, hey, how did it go? I'm actually wanting to ask, right? Did you understood? Did you, were you bothered by my accent, right? But you don't want to say that, right? <laughs> so one day I literally opened up and I asked a woman in my class and she's like, Grima, I don't even notice, right? Like that you had an accent. You are the one who's noticing it most. So get over it. So there, uh, <laughs> so you know, so there, that was a personal challenge the first time that I was so worried about it for an year before I started speaking about it. But I also believe at professional level, we always think what we don't have, right? So we are always thinking, oh, I want to reach there, but I need to do X, Y, Z. But sometimes thinking that, okay, whatever you have may be actually enough for the job that you are going to be doing, right? So understanding the gaps is very important, but trusting your strengths are also extremely important at the at that level. I love that. I loved it too. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> it was really nice. <laughs> I was more thinking about a challenge we just had recently and which which really interested me most. So my current project, I had to or I can provide a second interface to an existing product. So I got the vision of where we should be, you know, in five years. But then I could sit down and get all the information from all the people, all the stakeholders, the current users. What's the minimum thing we can start with? What makes our first customers happy? How can we get early feedback? And uh, it was really nice to, to come up with this, this use case, this outcome. And then actually now marketing and other, you know, divisions is picking it up and we're getting it out to the right people and hopefully make the first users happy because we did the right functionality and designed it for them specifically. And who were those folks? Like how small of a group was that? Is it five people? Is it 500 people? What does small mean to you? You mean our like, final customer? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good question because first we targeted like saying, okay, we go only for 10 customers in the US, but now there's a higher demand. So we are trying to control it yet, but we get a, get a lot of demand. But yeah, let's let's really start with those first 
important people to get to know that our product is stable and everything works as it should be before rolling it out. And it sounds like their feedback and an open line of communication. Very important. And being able to have a difficult conversation of saying, this doesn't work for yeah. me is part very of often. It. Very yeah. often. That's my daily bread and butter, let's say. <laughs> I'm talking to people, so not only end users, but also, for example, our service people or our trainers, yeah? And they would come back to me like, okay, why did you put in this functionality? And why in this way? Can you explain it? And uh, this is where I think trust is very important. If I would just not listen to them and say, no, we do it like this. This is not a way of how we can work with each other. So I try to be very transparent and very clear and explain why we do it this way and differently. And then they understand, they accept it, but they also would give feedback to me and say, yes, if you do it this way, but we need you know, to have it a little bit different so that it works for us as well. So yeah, a That's lot of relationships. That's great. And it's also, I mean, it's it's good to be able to welcome that and incorporate it in. And I'm sure that they're thinking of things that you haven't necessarily Absolutely. thought of, right? Yeah. We do have a little bit of time and it's a first opportunity for our podcast to be able to invite listener questions. Does anybody have any questions for these two ladies? Yes. And we have a mic available. So I've had the pleasure of getting to work with both of you. Well, I think one of the challenges of product management and product ownership is you're accountable for the success of the product, but you have to work across a bunch of teams that you don't manage directly. I've seen you both navigate this beautifully, but could you talk a little bit about how you approach having to drive teams, diverse teams, different function teams towards a goal from the roles as product owners and product managers? Sure. You want to go ahead? Yeah. Okay. So for me, the most important thing is transparency and communication. Everyone should understand why we are doing this. Like really everyone from a tester, an engineer, product management, everyone needs to get behind it, behind this idea and understand why. And then we find common solution. And then suddenly it's not so difficult anymore, especially if you then hear, if you have a close relationship with the people and they say, okay, we all want to solve for the same problem. We find common solutions. So, yeah. Yeah, so I think I'll give an analogy, right? It's like parenting. So <laughs> you can learn a lot of product management stuff in books, right? But when you do it, you're like, oh. So, you know, <laughs> it's always that moment. But I think, so, but, you know, I believe there are several elements to it, right? So it is difficult, of course, because there is a lot of us have, even the same end goal of serving customers, we have very different objectives when we actually come together. And I believe it's multiple things, right? So it's driving to a common goal is very important to be showing what the path towards is. Carly was mentioning why, right? Making why clear. Why do you want this in this time? And why this particular dependency is important. But there is a, a strong element of support from your own teams, your own manager, somebody who trusts you that even though you are going to have a difficult conversation, right? They know why and where you're coming from and you feel the confidence to drive that way. And I have been lucky, right, to, I think NG really does this very well, right? So the teams, I would say a little smaller, at least I've been lucky for that, right? So a very close connection to people who work with me and I know that if I'm given a task, my manager knows why I'm doing this, right? So even though I'm going to come back with like a bad day, that it meant well and it will probably turn around in a few days, right? So you, it's just the nature of the job. 
Well, ladies, we are out of time. I want to thank you so much for your insights. If people want to follow you, work with you, or connect with you online, where would you send them? Just looking at LinkedIn. Okay. Really? Yep, LinkedIn as well. Wonderful. Have a wonderful day. Thank, thank you very you. much for everything. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about us or this guest by going to our website or visiting us on any of the socials with the handle hit like a girl pod. Thanks again. See you soon. Again, thank you so much for listening to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. I am truly grateful for you, and I'm wondering if you could do me a quick favor. Would you be willing to follow or subscribe to this podcast, or maybe leave us a rating or review? Or if you're feeling extra generous, would you share this episode on your Instagram stories or with a friend? All those things help us podcasters out so much. I'm the show's host, Joy Rios, and I'll see you next time.